Hi, this is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, that's the most, you know, I, what, what can you say? That's the theme. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> It saves us a few bucks. Anyway, guys, welcome to the show, the Chris Voss Show podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. As always, we have the best guests, and of course... We have the best audience, so we thank you for tuning in and all that good stuff. Be sure to refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives. We know you guys love the show, but be sure to tell people to subscribe to YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Voss, hit that bell notification. You can go to iTunes, Google Play, Luminary.com, iHeartRadio, Spotify. Uh, geez, wow, there's a whole list on Chris Voss Podcast Network.com. You can go see like all the syndication we have in the show. And of course, you can find us in all the third party apps that are out there for podcasting. Anyway, we appreciate you guys' support. We've got a, a great and most interesting guest, as always, on the Chris Voss Show we're going to talk about today. His name is Josh Letsis. And Josh has got some really cool things. He runs ClosingBig.com, and he's going to give us some great insight into the valuable experience that he's acquired and developed in life. Uh, he started out, though, from a single-wide trailer. He dropped out of high school, and he knew the odds would be stacked against him. Uh, he started in the car business at the age of 18. Uh, knowing he'd have to outwork everyone around him, he proved uh, his worth by working seven days a week. 10 years of his career, and he rose through the ranks rapidly in the automotive world, expanding to markets in Oregon, Arizona, California, and Colorado. He worked for an automotive group that's a Fortune 500 company, and get this, he became the youngest GM, general manager, at the age of 28. And uh, he was kind of held up as a leadership store. All the different executives would come uh, learn what he was doing there. And uh, after a decade with the Fortune 500 company, he worked with the uh, became the GM of John Elway Chevrolet. You may have heard of John Elway, the famous football star. And uh, the store is the number one Chevrolet store in the state of Colorado. Uh, and uh, I guess John Elway liked him so much, he offered him to be part owner of the same store. So pretty awesome there. Welcome to the show, Josh. You've got your own company now, and uh, yeah. we want to find out what you're sure. doing and how you're using all this wonderful experience that you had to take it to the next level. Yeah, yeah. So it was... Uh, you know, a lot of guys, gals, you know, I use that term guys generally, but they, I you, <laughs> you don't want to offend anybody. To, I'll say to girls, I'll say, you guys. And they're just yeah. like, <laughs> like, what? You know I mean? <laughs> but you got to be careful. So I don't want to offend anybody. Yeah, I don't want to offend anybody. A lot of the car people, you know, they work their entire career to get where I got. And, um, and I got there, I got the GM at 28, really young age. And it was one of those where when I was a salesperson, I always said, oh, I want to be a sales manager. I want to be a sales manager. And then I got that at a pretty young age. And then I said, well, maybe I want to be a finance manager. Okay, got that. And then you just kind of start checking things off. And then I became a general manager at 28. And you realize, well, shoot, I probably have another gear to grab here. I'm only 28 years old. And, you know, I told myself, well, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be able to own a store, but let's just keep working hard and seeing what happens. Uh, I left uh, I left the, the company I was with. It was a big corporate company. It was Good and bad. It was nice to get out of that corporate, you know, kind of thumb on you. Um, came to Colorado and uh, worked for John Elway running the Chevrolet store. And after about six months or so, they offered me a partnership, which was the pinnacle, right? That was the dream come true. Not only is it a partnership, but a partnership with John at a Chevrolet store in Denver. I mean, it was incredible. So um, I did that for about six years. And then uh, I had some personal stuff going on that required me to, to be at home with my son and my family a little bit more. And, uh, and I, as you said in that introduction, I was a bit of a workaholic. 
I started my career, I worked seven days a week for 10 years and then worked six days a week for the last 11 years. And uh, it just wasn't working anymore. So I, I walked away from that, which like I said, was a dream job, but I walked away from it and decided that I didn't want to leave sales. I didn't want to leave, um, you know, helping people and coaching people. Cause as a leader, that's really what I felt like what I was doing was coaching and leading people. It was less about selling and more about people. And uh, so I, trying to decide what can I do where I'm still involved with salespeople, still involved with selling and helping and coaching people. And so I started my company closing big, um, you know, probably, uh, well, shortly after I left, but really got in full swing of things over the last six months or so. And that's been nice. It's given me some flexibility that, uh, you know, the day to day in the store didn't give me. And it's also fulfilling that need I have as a leader to help and coach people along. So closingbig.com is the website you launched. And what sort of services, like what do you guys do there? Yeah, so I do, um, I obviously do in-person dealership consulting and training. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my main product I just launched about a month ago is an online training platform. So it's, uh, it's kind of like training on demand, basically. And most dealerships, they don't train well. And it's not because they don't see the value in it, but it's just, it's one of those things that as the day goes on, it's like, well, let's train at eight. Oh, we got a customer here. We're busy. Okay. We'll do it after lunch. Okay. Well, you know, now we're appraising some trades and you know, this is going on and all right, well, let's, let's get it in the afternoon. And it just doesn't happen. And next thing you know, three weeks have gone by and you haven't had any training. Um, And some of it is the sales managers are typically your best performing salesperson. That's the one who gets promoted. Mm-hmm. Well, to be a best top performing salesperson, you're a pretty individualistic, if I said that right, individualistic person. Yes. You know, you're not really a team player. You're all about you. Yeah. So a lot of guys struggle as they make that transition into that leadership role because now it's not about you. It's about your team. And so that's part of it too. And so I came out with, uh, I've got uh, probably 650 sales training videos. And then I partnered with Eric Thomas, who's the number one motivational speaker in the world. And we've got several hundred motivational videos. Mm. So my my idea was most dealerships, they just suck at training. And it's not because they don't see the value. They just suck at it. And most salespeople, they leave because they're undertrained and they lack the motivation piece. And Eric's a good friend of mine. So we put together a platform and a program where we've got the training and done by an actual car guy, not somebody who sold cars for two years and all of a sudden <laughs> I'm sort of expert. This is all I've done my entire life. And, uh, and then Eric's obviously got the motivation piece down pat. So we partnered together, put the platform together and, uh, and just launched it. So, so that's what we're super excited about right now and really trying to get out there and help as many dealerships as we can to complement what they know they need to get done, but they just struggle with getting it done on a day-to-day basis. What's interesting, you, you talk about a lot of different things. I did a year in the car business back in the day when I was a kid. Um, and it, it's an interesting business and you really learn a lot. In fact, uh, you learn so much, especially from a sales aspect of, of what it takes to be a core salesman. Um, I, uh, after we started our other companies that were in other industries, I was like, you know, I really wish I was rich enough where I could afford to have my salespeople train in a used car sales division, uh, floor for like three months. Yeah, come to work for us because <laughs> the stuff you learn there is is uh, is some of the most, the best old school selling techniques, base, core, whatever you want to call it of, of selling that you can ever learn in your life, and you you almost can't uh, you almost can't school book that sort of stuff. But you speak to something else that's very true that I found uh, across my life. 
was not all salespeople, great, let's say, let me reword that, not all great salespeople become great managers yeah. or even should be managers for that. Yeah. It's it's a really unique person who can make that transition and master both, both fields. Um, I would even sometimes argue that sometimes uh, uh, anybody who could be a great manager probably I don't maybe I should, maybe I wouldn't make that argument because every great CEO has to be a salesperson and a great manager. You have to do both. Yeah. Uh, so there are people who definitely master it. So yeah, I don't. I don't think. Yeah, I it's just I would always tell my guys, uh, and again, generally speaking, when they want to get promoted, I would always tell them, I don't need you to be the number one salesperson because, quite frankly, the number one salesperson in my past experience has made not a great manager. Um, <laughs> it's been a, it's been it's just been a tough transition for them. I've ruined. And once you make them a manager, they're never a salesperson again for the rest of their life, mentally. So you can't step backwards. So I've ruined a lot of good salespeople by promoting them. Um, But I always tell my guys, you don't have to be the number one. I do need you in the upper quartile. You know, you've got to be a top performer, but I don't need you number one. What I looked for, and this probably later in my career, I realized this. I would look for that guy or gal that had some of the intangibles. They were helping customers when they knew that they weren't going to get paid for it. They were helping other salespeople when they knew that financially it wouldn't benefit them. They, you know, you know, obviously the moral part of it, the lying, cheating, stealing, they didn't do any of that stuff, but they just, that you could tell that they would go above and beyond when they knew that it wasn't going to benefit them. And Mm -hmm. that's when I would go, okay, that's going to be a, you know, a decent manager more than likely. Um, but you also had to be a top performer because you, you had a lot of bottom, bottom performers that, that they, they knew they were on the edge of getting clipped. And so they were super helpful also. And, and that, that doesn't do you any good. So you had to find that top performer that could see the big picture. And, and generally, you know, they would make the better managers. But they're usually not the number one salesperson. Yeah. The number one salesperson is, you know, they're kind of all about themselves. They're not really the team player. And yeah, so it's a tough transition. And a lot of guys and gals, they they really struggle with, worrying about just themselves and then all of a sudden now they've got to worry about you know 10 20 other salespeople that are all relying on them and it's uh you know it's difficult it's definitely difficult it's definitely a hard target to pick i mean over the years uh like you say yeah i've ruined a few good salespeople too by promoting them uh and and really they they their skill set was based upon sales most great salespeople i think in the in the in the one percentile um i don't think make great managers per se, uh, they can surround themselves with the board. I mean, you see a lot of great salespeople that can have a board around them to, to take care of the managerial sort of stuff. But even then it's, it's hard, but, uh, yeah, building great salespeople is an interesting thing. Um, when I became, I, how, how I transitioned in the auto industry was, um, I took in, um, had, uh, a leasing agency that I went to work for and we released the cars out to uh, people. And what we did was we did this weird thing. We worked with the dealerships. Uh, people come to us. This is early days of trying to buy custom cars. So people come to us and they would go, I want uh, this car. And we were like, we will find it for you. We'll get the dealership to give it to us. We'll lease it to you. And blah, blah, blah. We we're trying to yeah. cut out the, um, uh, dealership kind of in a way yeah. uh we're trying to build this customization cars that now you can just go online and you know custom get what you want um so we did that for about six months and i was selling it and uh, that got me into car sales but uh i wasn't a great salesperson i didn't i really sucked at sales let's put it that way <laughs> and uh i took in uh, turns out the owner 
was not paying the uh, automotive companies for the contracts that were getting yeah. cashed at the credit unions. He wasn't paying the undercarriage. He wasn't paying the insurance. And, you know, the whole thing came down as pyramid cards uh, one day when, you know, everyone showed up to read the offices. And I went, wow, I, you know, I work for a scam artist. Okay. So I knew the car business. So I was like, I go to work in the car business. And uh, I couldn't sell my way out of a paper bag back then. In fact, I thought sales was an, an evil word that you were trying to trick people to do something they didn't want to do. Uh, you know, I had that whole mentality. And I remember they, they, they came down to a point where they were ready to fire me. And the sales manager pulled me aside. He goes, he goes, look, I know you're a kid. I know you're just trying to make this work. And you really suck at sales. He goes, he goes, I know you're broke. I know you're living on Top Ramen. I'm going to give you $5 to go get Secrets of Closing the Sale by Zig Ziglar. And he goes, I'm going to give you this 5 bucks of my money. He goes, if you use this to buy food or ramen, you will be fired because you're already you're pretty much fired. <laughs> so... What I want you to do is go take this five bucks and go buy this book, and you've got forty-eight hours to read this book and save whatever job you had. So I was like, "Fuck it!" And I went and did it, um, and that changed my whole life. Uh, the the other thing that I think was well, these are my stories, so we'll get to yours. Uh, <laughs> I got a few car stories. I learned, I love I learned a lot about the core of sales. So you guys work with dealerships. You help them. Find the people that they need to take and uh, uh, get them going. You help them train them. Uh, and do you also train sales managers? Or do you just train salespeople? No, sales managers also. Because, um, again, that's a big weak spot. You know, a lot of sales managers are just, they're not qualified and nobody ever coached or taught them. Uh, and, and just like a lot of salespeople, it's like, you know, here you go. Here's the lot. Go talk to some customers, sell some cars. <laughs> Same thing. Hey, you were the best salesperson in the last six months. All right, you're promoted. You know, go go work some deals now. And nobody ever taught them how to be a leader. There is zero leadership coaching and, and, and counseling and teaching in the automotive industry. And that's, uh, and that's one thing I did um, at my store. Every Friday at 6.30 in the morning, um, I would do a, uh, I called it Life Group, Leadership, Influence, Focus, and Energy, mm-hmm. where I would talk to not only managers, but salespeople. And it was all voluntary. And it started with, I had, I would always have people come to me and go, Hey, I I want to, I want you to mentor me. I want you to, you know, I want to be like you. I want to get where you got. I want to do how you do it, how you did it. But it was always on my time smack in the middle of my day. And I said, okay, finally, here's what I'll do guys. I will absolutely coach you and mentor you, but, and I don't mind giving up some of my time, but it can't be smack in the middle of my day. So from six 30 to seven 30 on Fridays, I'll, we'll talk about coaching. We'll talk about, it was very little sales, actually more leadership, um, time management. I mean, all sorts of things to help make them a better rounded person. So, uh, yeah. So to answer your question in a long way, I do coach and, and, and work on sales managers and my online platform has a course for sales managers also, uh, because that's a, that's a big hole and a big need. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it's, it's going from selling people is great, but then being, becoming a manager where you've got to, you know, Babysit this, babysit that. Reports you got to report to higher management. Yeah. You know, I mean, selling selling's uh, quite the skill, but going to that next level is really uh, can can really be a challenge. So you guys have built. Do you, do you mostly work with car dealerships? Do you ever get outside of the car dealership? I do. There? I do. Actually, it's funny. I was t- I was telling somebody today. I've got a uh, one of my clients. One of my very early clients actually was a, a veterinary clinic where. They're all great doctors. They just didn't know how to sell um, contract negotiation, uh, you know, upselling, bumping, you know, that sort of thing. They just didn't have a clue. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So that was one of my very first customers uh, was a veterinary clinic. So I do go outside of automotive because at the end of the day, sales is sales and there's word tracks and, and things that you can do. And, and that just, they, they go across all platforms, um, you know, but it really, it's taking care of the customer, finding what their need is and their problems are, because that's what we are as salespeople's problem solvers. And then how do we solve it so that we can get their business? And that's, that's the goal. You know, our value has to exceed the price. As soon as our value exceeds the price, somebody will do business with us. And so we've <laughs> got to learn to build value, to figure out what their problems are, isolate their objections, and get past all the BS, right? Because most, especially in the car business, customers come on to the lot, they're going to give us some BS because they think we're a bunch of sharks, you know? We're just bottom of the barrel people. So they're going to tell us all sorts of things that aren't true that just give them a way out. You know, I got to talk to my wife. 95% of the time, that's a smokescreen objection. It's just not real. Um, you know, I got to keep shopping around, especially this day and age where the average consumer spends 19 hours online. They've done all their shopping. Yeah, it's not like it when you were in the business and when I first got in the business, the only way to shop was you had to go to Auto Mile, wherever that was in your city, and you visited 10 stores. And you, as a salesperson, you prayed to God that you were the last store they visited. Because if you were the first one, you knew it's going to be so hard to stop them in their tracks. Unless you had a unicorn of a car, they were probably going to continue shopping. Well, now if they come into the lot, they've visited 19 or they've spent 19 hours online. And the the data shows that they're only going to visit 1.2 stores. So the goal is to not be the point two and just not mess it up. Treat them you know, as they need to be treated and build down those walls that the customer has already built up. Because we've – for multiple generations in the car industry and salespeople really in general, we've just sullied our reputation and we, we owe it all to ourselves. We've done it to ourselves. You know, our, our fathers and grandfathers, they've, they've all done it. And now we've got to come into this new age and realize that we can't do some of the things that we used to do. Um, we definitely have to be much more uh, uh, customer focused than we ever have been because that's the only way we're going to get the business. Oh yeah, totally. So you, um, one of, one of the things that you talked about is bringing, bringing um, people up to a better skill level and just what they're trying to do. Uh, so when you do courses and stuff, is it an ongoing thing where you're doing multiple uh, courses for people, on, like an ongoing thing, like 10, 20? How do you, how do you uh, play that out? Yeah, so the, the online deal, it's all on demand. So they can go in and take whatever they want to take. And I've got an objection handling section with all sorts of word tracks and all sorts of closes. So if they get, let's, I got to talk to my wife. They've heard that from the last three of their customers and they haven't been able to address that well. Um, they can click on that section, watch 10 videos on how to handle that. And they may listen to a word track or listen to something and go, I can't say that. That's too cheesy. That's just not me. Um, but the goal is for them to find one or two because you're not going to use 10 different word tracks for the same as a salesperson, you're going to find that just like any you know skilled person, you're going to find that tool that you like using the most. And that's the one you're going to use 95% of the time. So that's the goal is for them to do, to, to hone down on what they really need to work on. Um, but then there's other sections too that help them out with anything. So my goal was to have for them to be able to watch two sales videos a day for two years and never watch the same video. Um, and I've got that on there. And then it's always growing and expanding. I had a dealer ask me um, last week or week before to expand on some social media branding and um, presence, that sort of thing for salespeople. So I'm doing a course now on that. So if one of my dealers says, hey, could you do something on this? Absolutely. It's just a matter of you know getting getting in the studio, shooting it on the green screen, getting it edited, and it's up there in you know a month or so. That's pretty awesome. You can custom make stuff for people. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's my goal. I want to be, especially now, while I'm still small and growing, um, I can do that. When I you know, have 50% of the dealers in the country, hopefully, it'll be much harder to do stuff like that. Um, but yeah, if somebody has something, I don't want to be some cookie cutter, you know, this is what it is and it is what it is. Um, you know, they have some sort of need and if I can add value there, I want to be able to do it. Well, definitely. So you were saying about how people, um, you know, they shop around, they, they go to 1.2 stores, I think is what you said. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing I found is a lot of people are looking for a leader. They're looking for a salesperson. They're looking for someone to sell them. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of times where they, where they leave a dealership or go to another dealership is they just haven't found that guy. They want to be sold and they want to be handled well. Um, you know, I mean, some people live for the game of the of the negotiation. Yeah. In, in research that's been found that a lot of consumers actually like that game. They like the challenge of it's kind of like gambling. You know, you're you know you're probably gonna lose, but you <laughs> you, you like you like the chance of it. Yeah. But uh, you don't lose when you buy a car, so it's a little bit different. You actually, you know, make an investment in something. Um, but uh, whereas when you go to the casino, I don't know. Well, you do invest in having good time and entertainment. So yeah, it's an investment. Exactly right. You gave away your your uh, kids' uh, college pictures, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I I really think that a lot of times, uh, and I would see that a lot of times when they were going to the car lot, they were searching around for someone to sell them. Uh, care for them or find out what they really needed and that that's important to them they've they've got to find that person who want i think a lot of times they're searching for that person who's going to be in the vehicle uh that they feel comfortable making a buying purchase from that the rapport or whatever the case may be yeah you've got to be a counselor to them um you know it used to be for decades and years the dealerships controlled all the knowledge and information you know if you wanted any information on a car you had to come to the dealership. If you wanted to know what your trade was worth, you had to come to the dealership. Um, and we did a great job of holding on to all that knowledge and making people come to us. And while they were with us, we put them through some terrible process. Just, you know, took too much of their time, kept them there, you know, waited till they were tired. I don't know if anybody actually threw keys on the roof, but, I, you know, I've heard that story. Um, and now it's different, right? They come to us because they're, they've got a lot of the information now. And as a dealer group, we don't have the information. The customer knows what their trade's worth. Is Kelly Blue Book perfect? No, but it's pretty darn close. A lot closer than the classifieds, which is what they used to use, right? Here's what my car's worth. No, that's what somebody wants for their car that clearly hasn't sold it yet. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, all the information. They know what invoice is. They know what interest rates are. They know, uh, you know, they just know everything. I mean, essentially, they can work their own deal all by themselves. They really don't need us, yeah, but they do. So we want to be their counselor and guide them along the process. If we still... And this goes for any sales industry. If you try and force people through your process and go, hey, I have 10 steps and I need to go one and then two and then three and then four, you're going to get some people that will let you do it. But you're also going to get some people that spit the hook and go, hey, I, I, I want to do five next. You know, I don't want to do two. And so I tell my guys all the time, it's our sales process is fluid. You know, are there things that we have to accomplish and achieve on there in order to close the deal? Absolutely. But if a customer wants to go to five or to seven first, sometimes we need to go to five or seven. Otherwise, we're going to risk losing that customer. So so you're spot on. They're looking for some sort of guidance and counselor along the way. And knowing that, hey, you know, if it's a new car, I'm going to have to come back for service and warranty. Um, you know, if it's a used car, there's always that risk of having it break down and that sort of thing. So 
they want somebody that they can trust and that's going to help guide them along the buying process and then the after sales process. And that's really what separates those incredible dealers from just the dealers that just transact and, and do business. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to me um, what makes people buy. And, of course, being a salesperson, I've always been there. The greatest salespeople I've ever met are people who can gain rapport with anybody. You yeah. can drop them into Vietnam in the middle of the jungle, and they'll gain rapport with the North Vietnamese and, and, and win the war or something. Yeah. But they, they have this ability to get rapport with just about anybody. And, in, and not just a logical connection, but an emotional connection. Because great salespeople understand that people buy based upon emotion. Um, they buy on a lot of other things, too, like identity. Their identity of how they feel about themselves. Uh, and being able to play in that sphere is really important. And people, you know, I think, I think in spite of everything that's gone on with technology and stuff, people still want trust. They still want rapport. Um, they want to feel like they're, you know, they, they, on some level, they feel like they're just buying a car once or buying a product once, but they, they're kind of like, I really want to like this guy. Cause if I have to keep doing business with him in the future, I want to be able to trust them. And so I think that's still a big part of, of everything that goes on in spite of, you know, the electronic sort of static, uh, internet sort of, uh, things that people have before them when it comes down to making that final decision. Those are going to be the aspects that are really important. Yeah. And it's an emotional purchase. I mean, you're buying a car. I mean, people yeah. name their cars. People, I mean, do all sorts of crazy things. It's not quite a pet, but a lot of people have that emotional attachment. I've seen people cry when they trade their car in. I mean, it's unbelievable. And imagine that. Somebody has so much emotion attached to a car that they're crying when they trade it in. And that car salesman potentially could have went out and go, oh, yeah, this car is terrible. It's the wrong color, wrong options. You know, it's got too many miles on it. It's, you know, it's, it's a stick shift. Everybody wants an automatic. And they just come out and start bashing this car that they're so emotionally attached to. So, you know, there's definitely a skill set to that, uh, to being a salesperson that some people are great at and, and some people aren't. But that, that ability to bond with your customer, because people buy from people they like. They yeah. just do. And nowadays, yeah. again, you can buy. I mean, the last two cars I bought, I never looked at the car. I had them, they were from across the country, had them shipped to me to my doorstep, never even saw it. So, but I talked to the salesperson multiple times, built a little bit of rapport, realized, okay, I like this guy. I can trust him. I can trust his dealership. So I'm going to do business with them. If you don't have that trust, the only way you're going to do business is number one, if you have the lowest price, that's a terrible place to be. Or number two, if you have that unicorn car that they've searched nationwide on Auto Trader and you've got the only one and that you know, purple with the pink polka dots and, and that's it. And, and, and there's not a whole lot of those unicorns out there. So you don't want to hang out there either. So you've got to be able to have that trust and, uh, and have your customers get attracted to you and then they'll come back, right? They'll buy more cars from you. They'll probably, if you're a new car dealership, they'll service with you. And that's great because people that service with us are twice as likely to buy from us again. Um, they'll refer their friends and their family and a lot of salespeople, car salespeople, they forget that most households have three cars. So if you sell the husband, the wife's probably going to be in the market in six to 12 months, you know, and maybe even sooner if you get them really excited about that purchase, you know, and they probably have a kid in the household who also has a car or needs a car. Maybe they've got a sophomore, maybe they got something like that. So 
You're not selling just one person a car. You've got that opportunity to sell a family a car. And then God forbid they go to you know family dinner or church on Sunday or whatever they do and people see it, start asking questions. Oh my gosh, you got a new truck. Tell me about it. Where'd you buy it? You know, oh, it's the best process in the world. I saw Josh, he was absolutely incredible. And then you might spark some interest. So it just snowballs and that momentum keeps going and going. But it only does that if you build rapport and you build trust and 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 that value as an actual you know, uh, as, as a guidance counselor almost in that sales process. I think that's where a lot of people lose the, the, the bigger picture. Like when I worked on a car lot, uh, there would be a lot of cherry picking and prejudging, especially on the used car front. Yeah. Um, you know, they'd be like, Oh, look at that car. And, and, uh, me being a salesperson, I'd take anybody to talk to me really. Cause I wasn't that great of a salesperson either. But uh, I, I would try and, you know, if you if you were fogging a mirror, sometimes it was a bad thing. Sometimes I should have probably maybe cheered. <laughs> uh, but I remember there was one time where this car, the guys came running over to my dealership. or When they came running over the new car area, they were over the used car. And they go, hey, there's an old beat up, you know, it was like some 1970s uh, beat up old car. The people didn't look like they were just you know, in from the mobile home park. Uh, they look like me, so uh, no offense there, to mobile home park people. Uh, it's probably how I dress every day. Um, but they just look really awful. And, like, everyone in the dealership was like, don't go out there. Oh, my God, this is going to be the worst client ever. And I remember watching them make the whole uh, journey, you know, driving through the used car lot. And they drove the new car lot. And... Uh, and I remember sitting and screw it. I'm, you know, all all the salespeople were like, "Don't go out there, don't go out there." Just everyone just stay in here, avoid them. And so finally, I just said, "Screw it, I'm going to go out there." Hey, Mikey, you'll try it. So I go out there. These folks have been living within their means by owning old cars and old stuff, and they have literally been saving, <laughs> little saving to cash purchase a vehicle at full price uh, when they can. Yeah. And so they come in the door. They're the most wonderful people. Yeah, they're not dressed uh, up, you know, really nice. They're wearing not fancy clothes. Um, and uh, their car is like so old, you know, whatever. Like they don't even care because they're just like, we get it. It's an old car. Um, and they're like, we've been saving money for the past 10 to 15 years. And we can buy a car with cash. And we want to buy a car today. And I sold them a car and they paid full price for it. They didn't even care. They, I think they just liked the, the fact that they could. Like, we have the money. We'll pay full price because we don't even give a shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I and everybody's like, holy crap. And I was like, yeah, it was the easiest sale ever, man. Yeah, yeah. And, that's, and it's funny because so many salespeople – they have success as a, I call them green peas as a new salesperson because they don't know that they, Hey, I'm supposed to prejudge that guy. I'm supposed to look at his car. I'm supposed to ask him about his credit. I'm supposed to ask him what's your payoff. Hey, who's your bank? Who are you finance with? Oh, that's a bad credit bank. You know, and as a green pea salesperson, you don't know all these questions. So you go out and talk to the person in the 1970s Chevelle that's all beat up and rusted because you're just supposed to talk to every customer. That's all, you know, and then you sell some cars. And then what happens is after about six months, you start to learn these things you're supposed to ask these customers. And then you go, oh, I'm not helping that customer. Somebody else helps that customer and sells them a car. And uh, yeah, that's no good. So we see that a lot with salespeople. 
And what's the point, right? You're sitting around with five or six or 10 other salespeople shooting the shit, talking about things that, you know, talking about last night's game or whatever, you're not doing anything. anything. What does it cost you to go talk to a customer to go find out that Farmer John has been, you know, selling hay for the last 20 years and he's got a stack of hundreds in the back of his pickup truck. You know, you have no idea, but the only way to find out is go talk to that customer and see what you can do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, some of my best customers are people I've, I've, uh, I've, I've prejudged and went, I'm not going to answer that email. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm frustrated. Last time I answered the email, they were ugly and screw this, what I'm doing. And uh, sometimes those turn into clients that last you for like 10 plus years. Yeah. Um, so you guys do a lot of automotive sales training. You guys do courses, coaching, yep. community stuff. You have a core curriculum with over 600 plus videos. Holy crap. Yeah. And a uh, video training library. So basically they can go, Utilize your. Is there a paywall behind all your videos? Is that how it works? What do you mean paywall? Uh, so if I want to get access to over six thousand videos that you guys have, yeah. Um, do I do I need to hire you or? Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Um, so so I sell it currently just to dealerships as a package, and they can mm-hmm. have up to thirty five users. Um, I should be launching an individual platform for individual salespeople later mm-hmm. towards the end of the year, um, but currently, yeah. So the dealership would sign up. And then they would give access to their salespeople and management, and then they could go on. And the nice thing is, like I said, you can do it when you want, how you want it. Whereas most sales training, you know, it's okay. Hey, it's two o'clock. Round up the guys. Let's go upstairs. It's a total disruption to the day. Or you bring in an outside sales trainer like myself and, you know, hey, Tuesday, we're having training. Everybody stop what they're doing. I paid this guy big money. You got to go to these classes. Big money. Yeah. And it's just, you know, and then you ruin that day. You lose all productivity where with this, they can do it when it's convenient for them individually as a salesperson, or I've got stores that use it as a team. First thing in the morning, they watch a video, 15, 20 minutes. They talk about the video every morning. That's what they do. Um, And then obviously the salespeople can use it individually on their own also. Uh, But that's the nice thing. It was designed to fit this insane, crazy, busy lifestyle world that we live in now and not go, Hey, uh, you know, two o'clock on Tuesday, that's when we do our training. Um, if you have the ability to do that, great. But you also have to have some level of flexibility because Mr. or Mrs. Jones might want to be here and they might want to buy a car. And that's pretty darn important too. Yeah, the, um, uh, you know, you hold an event and the one salesperson that you have that's the weakest that you really wanted the training for, you know, he's, he's off sick that day. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Great. We pay the consultant all his money to show up. But I really like this. Video training is, is also a good way to uh, I'll have to watch some of your videos, but it's a great way for people to learn uh, how, how to sell well, have kind of tactical on things. Because that was the that was the biggest challenge I have. I'm a very visual learner, yeah. And uh, so people would be like, "Well, you know, here's how you sell," and I'm like, "Well, how do I do that in the thing?" And I, I was lucky enough to have some great uh, sales managers and sales trainers around me that taught me a lot of hard lessons. I remember one of my favorite lessons, uh, and I. Danny Alva was his name. I can still remember his name to this day, um, which is something considering my name, <laughs> um, considering everything that's gone by. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget. He he does this. He does this thing with me, and this is back. But when I'm struggling, and he goes, "I'm gonna I'm gonna show you something." He goes, he goes, uh, he goes, reach in your pocket, pull out your wallet, and I go, uh, I go, okay, so I pull my wallet. He goes, now I want you to open your wallet. And I want you to pull out a $20 bill and give it to me. So I pull out a $20 bill and give it to him. Puts it in his pocket to my shock and amazement and goes, thanks, man. Appreciate it. He walks off. 
He asked for it. <laughs> I will never forget. I'm like, what is that? And so he comes back. He goes, listen, I just taught you a lesson, and I really should keep your 20 bucks so that you really get the lesson. Um, he goes, what I taught you is how to assume the sale and how to, once you know what people want to do, help them achieve what they want to do and help them get through the decision-making process and any in, in insecurities they may have. And he goes, did I ask you at any point to that conversation to do something for me? And I go, yeah, you did. You asked me to give you 20 bucks. He goes, no, think about what I said to you. <laughs> and uh, I got thinking about it. He goes, I didn't ask you to open your wallet. I didn't ask you to pull it out. I didn't ask you to give me the $20 out of it. I asked you if I could keep it. <laughs> I told you through the whole process to do those steps. Yeah. He goes, when you're a salesperson, uh, you identify what your uh, customer's trying to do. You help them achieve that point, but you also, you know, help them get the fulfilled and take away any securities they have and, and whatever yeah. sort of doubts they may have and sort of all that good stuff. And so I learned that. I think, I think it came from, uh, I think it was W. Clement Stone who said, command for his time, take it. Um, and I honestly believe if you're a salesperson, if you're working the good of the client, you've listened for what they want, and your job is now entrusted from them to encourage them to uh, achieve their goals based upon what uh, you know they've espoused to you. That's your job is to lead them down that pathway because that's what your job is. They can't they can't just walk into a dealership and grab a set of keys off a wall and go, "Hey, I'm going to go uh, test drive this cool new." They're like, "Yeah, man, have fun with yeah. that." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 uh, it's unbelievable, right? Just that assumption. And um, uh, I think it was uh, Zig Ziglar who said, "You can get anything in this world you want as long as you help enough people get what they want." And exactly. so that's the key as a salesperson: you got to figure out what do they want, and then how do I help them get it, and then have that assumptive piece where they're not here for the free coffee because the coffee sucks. They're here because they want to buy something, and so I'm just going to go ahead and assume that they want to buy it. Until they put the brakes on me and go, hey, I'm waiting for my tax returns or whatever, and then I'm going to try and overcome that too. But I'm going to assume that they're here to do business. A lot of salespeople, it's amazing to me how many salespeople are scared, for lack of a better term, to either ask for the sale or to just assume the sale and roll right along with that sales process and see if the customer doesn't ever throw up an objection. And they just let you go through the sales process, close the deal, and boom, and you go, wow, that was almost too easy. Well, it's because yeah. they were there to do business. You did what you needed to do. You built value. You helped solve their problems. Why else would they be there? I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. There's a certain point that I, I think a lot of people will get sold, and I, I wish uh, people had made it um, segmented in my mind, but there's a certain point where the client, you've gained rapport with them, you've gained their trust. Now your job is to go do your job. Uh, it's it's interesting to me, like one of the, one of the things that I always say, because whenever I go in to get a haircut these days with these haircut places, you know, I just go to the general ones. If you ever see my hair, you can you clearly see why. You're like, wow, you yeah, me, pay me too. Yeah, in your, um, well, dollar haircut right there, and <laughs> it looks like the same as a beaver's ass. Um, and he didn't pay twelve dollars, so <laughs> got, I don't know what that means. But uh, the today on today's podcast, beaver's asses and uh, closingpick.com. Uh, so tune in, tune in at five. Um, the, uh, but no, it's, it was interesting to me that, that, uh, you know, there's a point there where once you get that thing, you've got to lead. One of the problems I have when I go get in a haircut, the gal always tells me, she goes, um, well, do you want a number five or a number six, uh, blade or whatever 
Clippers, Clippers. And I'm like, I don't know. Listen, all I know, honey, is I pay you to be the professional in this field. I don't I don't want to learn to be a hair cutter. I don't want to know what blade number five or six do. Just cut my damn hair. That's why and, and there's a lot of that in this sort of world where people want you to do their job for them. And you're just like, this is the reason I pay you to be a professional. If you're in car sales or if you're in sales in general, you need to realize that there's a certain amount of what's the right word? Um, expectancy that the customer has in placing their trust in you and going, okay, I've given you my trust and I've given you my before. It's your job to lead me down the road and run with yeah. this baby. And yeah. if I have some sort of insecurities or objections, it's your job to help me overcome them. This is why I pay you. This is why you're getting the commission. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I talked to, you know, the salespeople about how, you know, back to that, if, if a customer starts giving you objections or questions or whatever, you know, one of my philosophies throughout my entire career is that we treat everybody like they're our mom, our dad, our brother, or our sister. And um, I tell them, you know, we always going to get along with our brother. No, of course not. Do I want to punch my brother in the nose sometimes? Of course I do. But if he calls me and he's got a problem, I'm going to help him out with that problem. And so tying in with that, if your mom comes onto the car lot and your mom says, well, you know what? I, I think I'm going to go shop your competitor. What attitude and what mentality would you take? Now, if you've built some rapport with your customer, you can even get a little sharp with them. But that's that attitude deep down in your soul that you have to have that, hey, my mom, my brother, my dad just said they're going to go down the road and shop my competitor. That's insane, right? You would, you would call them out and you would go, that's insane. And that's that mentality. If you have that same mentality, when a normal customer says, ah, I'm going to go shop your competitor, you're going to dig deeper than you would if, oh, all right, well, well, here's my business card. Call me if it doesn't work out. You know? doesn't work out. Yeah. So you've got to have that same mentality that, hey, my mom just told me. And I talked about that with my service advisors. If, you, if you're going to sell a customer a brake job and you go, hey, your brakes are at like, you know, one millimeter, you're, I probably wouldn't drive this thing. And they go, well, you know what? I'll get back with you. If that was your mom, you would say, absolutely not, mom. I'm not letting you drive this car out of here. Let's figure it out. Maybe we can go with some cheaper pads. Maybe it's a price issue. Maybe it's, you know, I mean, there's some issue there. People aren't going to drive out of the service department if you, they know that their brakes are bad. Yeah. You know, so we have to have that same mentality that, hey, my mom or my dad just told me, I don't want to do business with you, Josh. And how would you feel deep down inside? And then take that feeling and that emotion and use that on your current customer that you've got. Because if you've done a good job building rapport, you've got a great product, you've built value, you owe it to that customer for them to do business with you. Because if they go down the road, not every dealership, not every salesperson acts the way we act. They're not as transparent. They're not as nice. They're not as friendly. They, you know, they don't stand behind their product or their customers like we do. So would you really let your mom go down the road and buy from one of those other salespeople? Of course you would so it's just a matter of changing that mindset and going, okay, I need to dig a little deeper and not give up so easy because I wouldn't let this happen to a family member. Yeah. And a lot of times people get ripped off too. I mean, one of the challenges I've always had in sales is I'll give somebody a really good deal and they'll be like, uh, you know, here's a really good deal. And you know, they're like, oh, yeah, I think I'm paying too high a price. And maybe I failed somewhere in my sales presentation or dealing with sales objections, or maybe I just didn't gain enough rapport with them. Whatever the case is, they decide to move on uh, and they'll go down to somebody else and you'll come back. You'll see them later, maybe in the service shop. And they're like, yeah, I bought the car at the other dealership. And I'm like, well, you know, you said we were charging you too much. How'd that other thing work out? I don't know. They got me a really good deal, a 34% interest. And yeah. and uh, I paid like 40000 for a $35,000 car. And you're like, what? 
Yeah. And, but, you know, that's an example of where maybe they just like the salesperson better, the salesperson had better silver tongue than I did, or better objection. You know, who knows why that converted. But I've had that happen so many times in my selling career where somebody, you know, tells me that I somehow didn't sell them. And they go somewhere else and they end up paying more. And whatever. And what's even interesting to me is they're actually happy about it. You're just yeah. like, wow. You know, yeah. And it's, they found that hot button. They, that salesperson figured out what was important to them. And exactly. I like to say, in the car business, we say three M's. It's the man, the money, or the machine. Outside the car business, it's the three P's. It's the person, the product, or the price. So the person being me, do they not like me? Or the dealership as a whole can be the person also, the business. Do they not like my business? Do we have bad reviews? Do we, you know, have sweatshops in China or, you know, something like that? Is it the product? Is it the wrong color, wrong options, wrong something? Because a lot of times consumers, they won't tell you because they don't, we just built rapport. We're fishing buddies now. I don't want to tell you that, oh, I I wanted the one with the moonroof and this one didn't have the moonroof. So I'm just going to tell you that I'm going to keep shopping or I'm going to think about it because that's easier than that rejection. I don't want to reject you. A lot of, a lot of people don't like rejecting other human beings. Um, or is it the price? And a lot of times it is the, the price. Um, and then you can uh, address that, whether it's a monthly payment, a down payment, or you know an overall purchase price. But if, if you can figure out which one of those three reasons why the customer isn't doing business with you, and a lot of times I'll just ask them. I'll just be flat out and tell them, hey, when somebody doesn't want to do business with me for whatever reason that they're giving me, it's usually one of these three things. It's the person. You know, Do you like me? Did I do something wrong? Do, are you all right with our company? And they'll say, yeah, 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 it's you, it's you. you know, you're great. You know, I love you. You're incredible. Um, is it the product? Are we on the right product? Is this the right color? Does it have all the right options? You know, and, and that sort of thing. And just start really detailing that out. No, no, product's right. Okay, well, then the last thing is probably the price. Is it the monthly payment, down payment? You know, well, yeah, I was waiting on my tax returns and I don't have my, you know, down payment. Okay, perfect. Well, we can overcome that. That's easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but if we can isolate that to figure out which one of those three things it is for their hot button, then we're great and we can move forward because we may be focusing on price, which we do as salespeople a lot because we think that's the most important thing, but it usually isn't. On a list of top 10 things, it's like eight or nine. Uh, Color is more important. And a lot of people are like that. If you're going to spend $50,000 on a brand new car and you're going to keep it for five years, I would pay $1,000 more to get the right color. Because five years from now, I'm not even going to remember what I paid for the car. So. You know, people will pay more for the right color or that right option, that cold weather package or, you know, whatever it is that they're, you know, that they're trying to do. So sometimes as a salesperson, we have to back up a little bit and go into that needs analysis or fact finding session to figure out, hey, what did we miss? We missed something along the way because if, if they came in, they've spent some valuable time of theirs. We built some rapport with them and now they're telling me they're not ready to do business. There's some sort of problem. So let's figure out what that objection is, isolate it down to this one thing. And then see if we can overcome it. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's an interesting thing. The whole dynamics of of selling and everything that goes into it. So you guys do one on one coaching. You do dealership consulting, sales yep. training, and of course, you guys. I, I like this part. Six hundred videos. I've done I don't know three thousand thirty five hundred videos on the Chris Voss show. Uh, so I know how much work goes yeah. in making 650. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's and that's just the sales, right? I think it's up to, it's almost 700 now. And then, um, the Eric Thomas motivational ones, there's, uh, oh man, there's probably five or 600 of those also. So you've got the training and motivation. Um, and then every day on my Facebook page, 
I do uh, Monday through Friday, I do a free one on my page, some sort of sales tip tactic training that anybody can log on to and watch because um, I know not everybody's going to be able to get the platform or dealership, you know, for whatever reason. Um, so every single day I do a video. And for somebody who does a lot of videos, you know, that can be tough sometimes. You got, yeah. you know, you got something going on. You, you just don't feel good. You're sick. You know, mm -hmm. I got a black eye. I'm like, I don't want to do a video. I got a black eye, you know, so it's, you, you get all sorts of reasons, but it's that consistency piece that wins through. And, and so that's my goal is just consistently put out some content for anybody that wants it. And then um, if they see some value, obviously I can upsell them to the, you know, to the full package. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, and it's cool. I think, I think what you guys have is, as sales training is pretty freaking awesome. Uh, so give me the plugs for yeah. you guys is, uh, for your website and all that good stuff. Yeah, so just go to closingbig.com. All my information is on there. Um, and I've got a Facebook pixel. So if you're on Facebook, I'll keep tracking you for the rest of your life. But uh, but that's uh, that's the best way to get a hold of me, see my content and that sort of thing. All right, guys. Well, we certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Go to Josh's website. You can go to it at closingbig.com. Uh, I got to tell you, whether you're not you're in the automotive business or just in sales in general, you can learn a lot from automotive selling. In fact, like I say, I used to want to train all my salespeople. Still to this day, I'm like, I wish I could pay for a three-hour training by fire course where they would have to go work at a used car dealership yeah. and just learn uh, by fire all that stuff. Anyway, guys, uh, be sure to go check it out and check out all the other materials he has online. Uh, and we certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, thanks for coming by. We'll see you guys next time.